Uh, and I am so happy to see some of you here. Um, it's, it's a little different when, when I have to preach to a camera, and I still will for those of you who live stream, so hey, I'm still mindful of you. Um, but it, I am really enjoying uh, just worshiping alongside you. Um, and I just pray, you know, I believe in the Lord's hands, but I, I pray that, that this just becomes more, let's see, more part of reality. Like we do that more often uh, because I, there's just no substitute for it. So, um, and, uh, but we could still study God's word together. We could still study God's word for, for those of you who are watching live stream together. And uh, like Jeff said, we're, we're still worshiping the Lord in our homes. So uh, I'm always excited to be here, always excited to, to open the word with you guys. Uh, so we are in Philippians 3, and our passage from last week, uh, we looked at Philippians 3, verses 12 through 16, and we were focusing on the race, that the Christian life is a race, and the prize that we're after is Christ. Our goal is Christ-likeness. And we achieve that goal when we are with Christ. Um, now today, or this week, I want to focus on a little, uh, on, a, on a different passage, but it becomes very practical. It's a very practical section of scripture, and it's pretty much going to tell us how to run the race. So last time we looked at what is a race, what is a description of the race, and now we're going to look at how to run the race. What are, what are some practical things we could do to live the Christian life like Paul did, and, and to live the Christian life like, like he he described. Uh, but before we get to those practical lessons, uh, we need to remember that we we act like how we uh, we act according to where we belong. So we, we wherever you think you belong, wherever you call home, determines how you act. Uh, and let me give a, a somewhat uh, a silly example, but I think it illustrates the point. Uh, if we were to go to somebody's home, or if I, I were to go to let's say your house, and I go to your house, and you say to yourself, make yourself at home. Or say to me, I should say. You say to me, make yourself at home. And, and I understand that expression. It's, it's you're communicating that you want to be comfortable, uh, to, to relax, to sit down, uh, to enjoy myself being there. Uh, now, imagine if I took that phrase literally, right? If I took the phrase of, of make yourself at home literally, and I start to make it my home. Uh, so I take off my shoes, go to your fridge, grab your last serving of ice cream that you're saving. And, um, and I eat it while soaking your tub. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's me making myself at home. Um, actually, I guess I don't eat ice cream in the tub. Uh, but that could change now that I think about it. Now, what would you do? How would you respond? Um, you'd probably say, like, you know, ask me, what are you doing? And I'll say, well, I'm doing what you told me to, making myself at home. And you would say, it's you should probably leave. And I, I would say, well, I'm not going to leave because I'm at home now, so, and I'll continue soaking in your tub. Now, that is a rather silly example, and I probably have barred myself from being invited to your houses now, so that's not great. But uh, it, it illustrates a danger that we have for Christians. Just as, as ludicrous as that is, there's a danger for Christians to get comfortable in a world that is not our, our home. Um, we don't belong here. Yet, at times, we, we feel comfortable here. We, we, and there's nothing wrong. We, we greatly enjoy the blessings we have in this life. But we, we start to do that at the expense of thinking about heaven. Even worse, there are believers who begin to act like the world, that their life, uh, they're, they're living a life that is incompatible with someone who is a citizen of heaven. And if, if you feel at home in this world, then you're going to act like the world. But if this world is not your home, and you, and, and you understand that, and you live that way, then your longing for heaven will drive you to press on towards a goal, to press on towards a goal, a goal of Christ-likeness, to press on for heaven. And the practical lesson that we're talking about today is embedded in that. That is so closely related to who we are, so closely related to where we belong. And we're going to be looking at, at three lessons for believers today, three practical lessons that helps us strive for the goal of Christ-likeness, that keep us focused on heaven. And these three lessons are, are to follow the example of believers, to avoid the errors of the enemy, and hope for the return of Christ. So our three practical lessons, follow the example of believers, 
avoid the errors of the enemy, and hope for the return of Christ. And my hope is that as we, as we dive into this scripture, as we open God's word together, that, that your focus, that your, that your conduct would match the reality of where you belong. That you would live your life in, in the hope and holiness of a citizen of heaven. So let's read Philippians 3. I'm going to start from verse 12, but we're going to go all the way through verse 21. So Philippians 3, uh, verse 12. Paul writes, Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I also was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will re reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. In our scripture for this morning. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly, eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Uh, pray with me. Father, we again are reminded of the race that we are running, that we are after the prize. Lord, how we desire to be with you. How we desire for our lives to, to grow in godliness. Father, Lord, I just pray that as we open up your word, as we study your word now, that your Holy Spirit will, will speak to us. It, it will reveal areas of our lives that we are not pursuing you. And Lord, keep us heavenly focused. Lord, help us to, for our help our eyes not to be taken off uh, off the prize off our Lord Jesus, but and to look at the world, but to stay focused on what matters, to stay focused on our Savior. And Father, I lift up our pastor to you, that you would continue helping him to heal, and that he would be able to join us soon. Pray in Jesus' name, Amen. All right. So when we looked at Philippians three last week. Uh, Paul was describing the Christian life as a race. And he was saying the prize there, the prize is complete conformity to Christ. It is knowing him perfectly. It is being in perfect fellowship with him. And that was Paul's focus, right? We go, go back to, uh, if you go back to verse, four, uh, verse 13, he says the one thing I do, it is just one thing that he is pursuing, and that is that prize. And we answer the question, why does he put so much effort into reaching this prize? If, if it is secured in Christ for him, and it's secured in Christ for us, why do we put so much effort into that? And the answer to that is because we desire to be more like Christ. And we talked about something called blessed discontent, that we are not content knowing a little bit about Christ, that we are not content being a little holy, that we want to know Christ fully, that we want to fight against every sin in our lives until we become perfect, until we are with Christ and we see him and become like him when he calls us home. That is why we, we, that is why we press onward, right? We press onward towards the upward call of God. Now, I think that desire, that, that blessed discontent, points to something very fundamental in us. That, that we don't belong in this world, that we belong with Christ, that we long for Christ and his kingdom. Now, Jesus said that while we are in the world, right, he says in John 17, while we are in the world, 
we are not of the world. In fact, we are, we are citizens of heaven. We belong to, to heaven. And as citizens of heaven, keeping that in mind, how do we run this race then? Well, we get our first practical lesson here in verse 17. The first practical lesson in pursuing Christ. Follow the examples of fellow believers. Let's look at verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Now, Paul has been building up to that. Go back to verse 15. Uh, He says, let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. Well, what attitude is he talking about? Uh, he's talking about the attitude or the mindset that he, ha- that he just laid out in those previous verses. Uh, he has been demonstrating to us through his own personal pursuit of Christ, how is it that we actually pursue him? Right? What does that look like? What, how is that characterized? Uh, but now I think Paul gets more explicit. Rather than just kind of keeping it general, he, he, he gets very explicit in his, in, his, um, in his commands, in his imperative here. And he says, join in following my example. He calls the Philippians to do exactly what he's doing. And I, I really like the, 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 the wording here, the Greek. In, in the Greek, it's join in following my example. Uh, that verb there is, is um, or, or I should say the, the word, is, is just one word. It's, it means fellow imitators. He's saying be fellow imitators of him. He's encouraging us encouraging his readers to join his race. And I, I love the humility in that, right? He didn't just say, get in line and fall behind me. To be a fellow imitator, uh, imitator, he's saying, I'm ahead of you, but we're both striving for the same thing. We're both striving for Christ-likeness. We're both fighting sin. We're both dependent on grace day in and day out. And so he says, imitate me, or related to, to the Greek word there, mimic me as I press on toward the goal. Now, I think we could ask the question, why, why should we follow Paul? Uh, he's he's a, a sinner like, uh, like all of us. Uh, and I think 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. So 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 answers that question. He says, be, uh, Paul says, be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. The reason why we're going to follow Paul is because he is so closely following Christ. It goes back to Christ. And, 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 and we have God's word. And God's word lays out how Paul is following Christ. And if you just look through Acts and look through the, look through the epistles, you can see how he, he boldly proclaims the gospel. You can see how he trusts God in, in difficult situations. And in addition to Paul, the, 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 the scriptures lay out so many other examples to, for us to follow. Uh, think about Hebrews 11, right? Hebrews 11, you have the, you have the hall of faith. That we have these imperfect saints. And I don't know, if you ever did like a study of Hebrews 11 and, and looked at those people mentioned there, they're, they're not always these standout people. Um, but they, they had faith. And so there were these imperfect saints that trusted in God during the most difficult times. And God did amazing things through them. And even more so, in the scriptures, we have Christ. We can know Christ. We can look at Christ. We can study his life. We can know about how, that he's going to return. We read that he is glorified in heaven in a, in, a, in a seat at the right hand of the Father. And constantly throughout scripture, as you read scripture, the scriptures are constantly pointing us back to Christ. Telling us of, of what he did. Telling us of, of, of how he loved us. And that we ought to live and love the same. It's all in there in the Word of God. And the Word of God is everything we need for life and godliness. Now, I wonder if you're thinking, is this, is this read your Bible sermon? Is, is one of those sermons where you're just going to say read your Bibles? Well, I guess this portion is, so that's, that would be valid. But uh, there is a fundamental reason why you should. Why you should read the Bible. And it is because you are a citizen of heaven. If you trust in Christ and and you have placed your faith in him, then you are a citizen of heaven and you should be excited to read it. Uh, let me explain it this way. I um, came across the, uh, the story and it goes like this. Um, a man goes on, on a faraway journey. He leaves his home. He leaves his country. 
and he's from this little hometown, and, and he goes to another country to work, and he's gone for many years. One day, on another, uh, while he's working in this other country, he passes by a newspaper stand, and he sees a, a small, tattered newspaper there and recognizes the name. It is a newspaper from his small little hometown from his country. And it hardly has any news at all. After all, it's a small town. It has, doesn't really have any new information, but that man reads it over and over and over again. Why is he so obsessed with this newspaper? It's because he has a love for his hometown. And with each time he reads through it, he is re reminded of not only how much he loves his hometown, but how much he desires to return to it. That should be us with the Word of God. We open up the Word of God, and it's reminding us that we're not, we're, we don't belong here. It's, it's calling us to our heavenly home. It's reminding us that we belong elsewhere. And so we have these examples in the scripture. We have the examples of Paul, and we can look at Christ. But Paul just doesn't say, follow my example, in verse 17. He goes a little bit further than that. We also have other examples around us. So look at verse 17. The second part of verse 17 says, And observe those who walk according to the pattern, uh, according to the pattern you have in us. Now it's really interesting here. The, the word for observe in the Greek actually takes you back to verse 14. It has the same, the same root word as, um, as goal. So verse 14, I press on toward the goal. And then verse 17, walk according to, um, uh, observe, or for example, keep as a goal those people around you, those people who walk according to the pattern. We're, we're looking at people who are conducting themselves according to the example of Paul and Christ. And Paul's saying, yeah, those people, let those be your short-term goals as you pursue the ultimate goal of Christ. Uh, it reminded me of um, a documentary that many some of you have seen called The Dawn Wall. Um, it, it features uh, two, two climbers who are going up uh, one of the, the faces of El Capitan in Yosemite. Uh, and the, the two climbers are named Tommy and Kevin. Um, and they're climbing up this, this mountain. Tommy advances pretty quickly. Um, he uh, goes up the mountain. But Kevin, who's falling behind him, there's this one point that Kevin cannot get. Uh, there's one, I guess they're, they're known as uh, pitches, uh, that Kevin just can't get around. And he, he, he keeps trying. And each time Kevin tries, he uh, says in the documentary that he loses a little bit more skin from his fingers, his, his muscles get weaker, um, and, and he becomes more discouraged. And in the documentary, Kevin eventually gives up and says, I don't want to hold back Tommy, so I'm just going to give up. And Tommy continues to climb up. So Tommy, now Kevin's down here, Tommy's up here. Tommy advances, reaches a point. He doesn't reach the top of the mountain, but he reaches a point and says to himself, I want Kevin to come up with me. And so what Tommy does, goes back down the mountain, down to Kevin, and says, you need to come up with me. And he encourages Kevin to try again, to get through that pitch. And so with some encouragement and a couple of pointers from, from Tommy, Kevin is able to get through that difficult point. And him and Tommy together advance up to the mountain. Now, I, I got reminded of that because this is what these people in our church, these people who we have surrounded ourselves with, these people who in, in verse 17 are walking according to the pattern you have in us, this is what they do. They are higher up on the mountain than us. And they are calling us to be more like Christ. Now, it's helpful to remember uh, they're not at the top of the mountain. Right? Even Paul, he says, I, he, in verse 12, he's like, I haven't already obtained it. I haven't become perfect. So they're not at the top of the mountain. But they can see the top more clearly than us. They can see Christ more clearly. They know what needs to be done to overcome obstacles, and they know of the joy that awaits, that, that awaits us as we get closer to the top. 
So we are to follow them as they follow Christ. Do you have anyone in your life like that? Can you think of someone else who encourages you to climb closer to Christ? Who is telling you, like what Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And I, I think it's helpful to, to comment that this goes beyond our surface level conversations. Right? We, I mean, we have a lot of fun, we joke with each other. Uh, if you ever come to a Friday group, <laughs> you'll see that we joke around a lot. But that's, that's, not, that's not discipleship. That's not following somebody's example. It has to go beyond those surface level conversations. Even has to go beyond um, heady theology. I think sometimes, especially me, I could get stuck on just talking theology. But we never go to the point where we're, we're challenging each other to trust in the Lord. To trust in the Lord in different areas of your life. To, to press on toward the prize. Find those people who, who practice what they preach. Find those people who are ahead of you and are climbing up that mountain towards Christ. You can follow those examples closely, and an interesting thing happens. If you find those examples, eventually you're going to be the example to somebody else, and this is how the church is to work. I would think of, of, um, of Titus 2. You have the older men teaching the, the younger men, um, or uh, 2 Timothy uh, what is it, 2 Timothy 2, 2, where we read that, that we are entrusted with these truths, entrusted with Scripture, and we are to teach the next generation and the next generation after that, and it keeps propagating. So follow these, follow these examples of, in Scripture, follow Paul, follow Christ, follow the examples that we have in our church, and lead. I think we're all called to do the same. We're all called to follow and to lead. And as, as we follow these faithful men and women, as we follow the scriptures, we grow closer to Christ. And we go up and up that mountain. And what's really cool about up, going up a mountain is that you look down and the bottom looks further and further from you. As you climb up the mountain, the cares of this world is going to seem smaller and smaller and smaller. And Christ is going to look bigger and bigger and bigger. So that's our first practical lesson. How do we run this race? You follow the example of believers. Now, if you're not in fellowship with mature believers, if you start to limit your time in the word, you leave yourselves open to following the wrong example. And this brings us to our second practical lesson. Avoid the errors of the enemy. Avoid the errors of the enemy. Look at verse 18. Verse 18, for many walk of whom I often told you, and I tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. So I think the first question that I think naturally comes up, right? First question, who are these enemies? Who are the enemies of the cross? Now, in the context here, it's, it's not explicitly clear, uh, but if I go up to verse 2 in chapter 3, he says, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. And we talked about this last Sunday, that there are these, these Judaizers there. And these Judaizers are teaching that Christ's work on the cross is not enough. That you need to add works to it. That you need to be, uh, become partakers of Jewish tradition. You need to get circumcised. You need to do all these other things in addition to the cross which ultimately minimizes the cross and elevates works above the cross. Now, in the context here, um, before I go into a theological discourse here, uh, Paul is not addressing the theological error. I think he already has. Uh, it says in, the, in verse 18 that he has often told the Philippians about, about these people. Uh, but look at the verb he uses in verse 18. He says, for many walk. Right, this is same verse, uh, same verb in verse 17, for those who walk according to the pattern. So he's looking at conduct. He's more concerned about the conduct of these people, of these uh, enemies. And Paul's concerned that the Philippians will begin to follow some of these enemies, that they'll start to model their lives after them. 
I mean, Paul was so concerned. I mean, it says repeatedly, I often told you about these people. He is concerned for the Philippians. And it's not like these enemies, these enemies of the cross were walking around with a sign on them. Right? Uh, they're not going to come to a church and say, hey, by the way, I'm an enemy of a cross. You know, nice to meet you. They, they are people who claim to be Christians. And I think this, this is what the, is so dangerous about this. These people are claiming to be Christians. And they're in the church. And they're living a life that, that, that if other people follow them, cause them to, to stop following Christ and to focus on the world. There's false converts in the church. And, and people claim, even today, it could be in our church. People claim to be Christian in word, but it's not followed in deed. The, the way of their lives for a, a, um, a false convert is not in the trajectory of, Christ, of Christ-likeness. It is filled with self in, selfish ambitions, with greed, with immorality. And these are the deeds of the, of the flesh. Paul talks about this in Galatians 5. In Galatians 5, he says, these things are going to become evident. They are evident. And those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom. So there's these false converts in there, and this is why Paul is so concerned, that they are in the church. Uh, but before we go to how Paul describes them, I just want to pause for a moment and look at what he says about it. So for many walk, going back to verse 18, for many walk of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping. Look how Paul reacts to these enemies. Their disobedience of the gospel grieves him. And if these are the Judaizers, I think Paul can relate to them. If you go back to verse 5 and 6 in Philippians 3, you can see that Paul comes from that world. If you go to Romans 9, uh, Paul describes his, his, his love and his care or his, um, his sorrow as an unceasing grief for, for the Jews. So let us remember this when we talk about the enemies of God, or enemies of the cross, that their lostness, that because they're false converts, that should cause us to grieve for them. And it should cause us to pray for them. And I think it's good to remember that we were once enemies Right? We were once enemies of God at one point. Right? Romans says, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. That should move us to share the gospel with them, to challenge them lovingly with scriptures that they may turn to God and repent. And we all know people like that. We all know people who, who outwardly proclaim Christ, but the deeds do not match. Now, Paul continues verse 19. He's, he's going to describe these characteristics of these enemies of the cross. Um, and he's going to describe, like, what is their pattern of their life? How, do, how does their life look like? How does their walk look like? Uh, and we need to make sure that we are avoiding this pattern. Our life has to look very, very different. And if we're, we are citizens of heaven, we've got to realize that, that this pattern that we have here is incompatible uh, to a citizen of heaven. The, the pattern that is in verse 19 doesn't work with someone who is a citizen of heaven. Okay, so the first characteristic, verse 19, Paul says, whose end is destruction. Uh, is destruction. Now we're going to go through these pretty quickly. But Paul right here is basically saying that their end is going to end in eternal judgment. Now if we, as genuine believers, you know, we have eternal life, we are pursuing Christ, and, and we are uh, looking forward to spending eternity with Christ. Now, why would we follow someone who doesn't want that? Someone who is trusting in their own works to gain e uh, eternal life. If we have the truth of Christ, why follow someone who's living their life according to a lie? And... It's one thing to say here. It's another thing to look in your life and say, I am following this person when, when, when their life doesn't match what the scriptures say. 
Let me jump to the second characteristic here. Second characteristic, whose God is their appetite. Now, the word for appetite is literally stomach. Um, and the idea here is that these people are driven by their own desires, uh, that they worship um, their own satisfaction. Now, how does this, now, if this was, I mean, you can you kind of think of it for a pagan nation. We, we hear about their excessive gluttony, but I don't think it's just talking about gluttony here. Uh, think about the Judaizers. What do the Judaizers do? What do those people who are imposing extra rules on uh, on Christians, what do they do as far as, as, far as eating? Right? Well, they have dietary loss. And so these people are trying to satisfy their own righteousness. They're trying to, to show God their works and say, look what I don't eat, look what I do. And that eventually becomes their God. It's not so much that they're worshiping the Lord, it's that they're worshiping their own righteousness here their own satisfaction of their righteousness, I should say. But again, it's incompatible. Followers of Christ are satisfied in Christ alone. Look at the next one. Uh, glory in their shame. They do things that should be considered shameful. They do things that are sinful, and, and they take pride in their actions. They boast about accomplishments of the works, but what does the Bible say about our works? Right, they're nothing but what? Filthy rags. And these people are boasting the works, they're boasting the evil deeds, instead of boasting in Christ. Again, I'm showing you, this is an incompatible way of living for a Christian life, for someone who is a citizen of heaven. So their, their end is destruction, their God is their stomachs, the glory is their shame. And finally, they set their minds on earthly things. Now, the wording here is very interesting. It actually is the same word that we saw in verse 15. When Paul says, have this attitude, uh, go back there, verse 15. Paul says, have this attitude, or let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. Another way of translating that is, have, or is to set your mind on this. Right? It's the same verb there. But look at what they set their mind to. These enemies of the cross set their minds on earthly things. So instead of looking to Christ, instead of pursuing Christ's likeness, they are after things of this world. And those goals, if you think about what does it mean to set your, things on, uh, set your mind on earthly things, these are having goals that are short-sighted, that are focused on the temporary, and I think ultimately focused on self. Uh, but again, incompatible with a citizen of a heaven. For Christians, Paul tells us in Colossians 3 that we are, not to, set our, uh, that we are to set our mind on things of heaven. Right? And what's so important about heaven? Well, things that heaven is where Christ is, right? the things above. We set our mind on the things above where Christ is, not on things on the earth. So those are the enemies of the cross. And at the most fundamental level, they are rebelling against God. They're hoping that they can make their own way to heaven and have completely disregarded the sacrifice of Christ. I think it's good to be honest. We just talked about enemies of, of, of the cross and that we can have false converts in the church. Ask yourself, ask yourself the question, what are you hoping will get you into heaven? Now, you may believe Christ died on the cross to be factually true. You may come to church. You may be on live stream. You may read the scriptures. Uh, but these are not sufficient to get to heaven. True faith, like we've seen in the previous verses, will cause you to press on towards Christ. That you should be, you should be growing in holiness. And not growing in holiness out of a, a way to prove to God that you're worthy, but you're growing in holiness because it is an outworking of God in you. And if there's nothing in your life that looks that way, then James says that that faith is dead. Now, this is you this morning. You have to be honest with yourself. You have to be honest with God. Ask for forgiveness this morning. 
Let go of the, of the, of the vain attempts to, to get to God on your own. Trust in the completed work of Christ. And for believers, we have a warning here, right? Be careful who you follow. I think uh, we could let the influence of the world, we, we could let the influence of, of unbelieving family and friends, and I'm not saying don't, don't talk to those people, but we could let them influence us, and, they could, and we could let that influence pull us away from Scripture. Watch that your cares don't become more than the uh, watch that your cares don't become more about the world than about heaven. If you're not filling yourself in the Word, if, if you're not being surrounded by those examples that we have of, of solid believers, and if you're not heavenly minded, what's slowly going to happen is that you're slowly going to start aligning yourself to the world. And again, like. We see over and over again that is incompatible for a citizen of heaven. Now we are not like the enemies of the cross. Not only do we not set our minds of things on the earth, not only do we uh, is our end not destruction, but our, our end, end is glorification. But we don't belong to the earth altogether. And this brings us to our last practical lesson that we're looking at today. So we saw that we are to follow the examples of believers, that we are to avoid the errors of the enemy. And our last practical lesson that we're going to look at is hope. And we could hope for the return of Christ. Let's look at verse 20. So he's just in verse 19, speaking about these, these enemies of the cross who set their minds on earthly things. And verse 20, for our citizenship is in heaven. Now, there's a sharp contrast there, right? The enemies of the cross set their minds on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. We set our minds on earthly things. Oh, sorry, we set our minds on heavenly things because that's where we belong. Where we belong, we belong in heaven. We are the citizens of heaven, and this is a reality that impacts your everyday living. If you are a follower of Christ, then you don't belong to this world. You belong to heaven. And if you belong to heaven, there is an immediate implication of your life. Turn with me to uh, 1 Peter. Was 1 Peter 2. And I just want, to, I want you to see um, this connection here. So ver 1 Peter 2, verse 11. Paul just said, in oh, sorry, this is Peter. Peter just said that you are a chosen race, royal priesthood, a holy nation, in verse 9. And in verse 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as what? As aliens and strangers. Right? You don't belong here. This is not your home. Okay, so if, you're, if you don't belong here, what do you do? Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from the fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. You know what that immediate implication is of you belonging to heaven, of, of your citizenship is in heaven? Is that you're not going to live like the world. Is that you're going to abstain from fleshly lusts. You're going to run away from sins. Run away from what the world pursues and pursue Christ. This goes back to who we are. Where we have our allegiance affects how we act. And as I was thinking about this, I, I, I was reminded of a, of a time I went to a baseball game, and that was a while ago now, so I miss baseball. Um, I went to a baseball game with, with uh, Daniela, my wife, and we went down to San Diego, and uh, we went to a Padre game. Now, the Padres were going against the Dodgers, and us being from, from L.A. would root for the Dodgers. Um, and it became pretty evident just because of the way we were rooting and the way I was booing, um, that we were not, in, at least locals in San Diego, that we clearly had our allegiance with the Dodgers. And I think to a certain extent, you could tell that we were from LA. Um, now, I think had it been a Giants game, probably not as bold. Um, 
But I was cheering my team, cheering my Dodgers team for LA, and it showed. And I think we do something similar in our lives. Like, what, what, if you ask yourself, where is our allegiance? Where do we hope for? What do we root for? And it can't be for this world. And we are surrounded constantly by people who are rooting for this world, who are uh, pursuing things of this world. We are surrounded by people who, who hate Christ, who hate the gospel. And just like me and Daniela at a Potter's game, we should be standing out clearly on a, we're clearly on a different team than the world. We are not being conformed to this world, right? But what we're being, we're being transformed, being transformed every day to be more like Christ. Now, I don't think the only reason Paul brings this up is just to, to contrast um, uh, believers to the enemies of the cross. Um, I mean, it's true. Uh, citizens of heaven are incompatible to the enemies of the cross. Uh, but I think the main reason he brings this up is to, uh, is to encourage us and to encourage his readers. He wants his readers to live with a hope that comes from being a citizen in heaven. So look at, look at the rest of verse 20. So he says, for, uh, going back to verse 20 in Philippians, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly, eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Now, after that first part of verse 20, after it says, for our citizenship is in heaven, what's the rest of the verse about? Verse 20 and 21, what's about? If you look through there, it's not so much about heaven. I mean, heaven is, is, is a part of it, but it's about a person. And I just want to point out this whole passage here, uh, the 20 and 21 here, is just focusing about, on, on Christ. Um, what is the best thing about being a citizen of heaven? I wonder what your answers would be. Right? If you think about that and ask yourself, what's the best thing about being a citizen of heaven? What, what is the most, uh, the greatest blessing that I have there? And I think just by Paul, how he lays it out, it is Christ. I mean, there's so many blessings that we get in heaven, so many things to look forward to. But the biggest thing there is Christ. I mean, look at, the, look at the, the verb that he uses, from which also we eagerly wait. To eagerly wait, it's used a few times in the scripture um, to, to denote a, an expectation of something coming, uh, many times referring to, to the end, of end times. But there's a certain certainty there. Oh, certain certainty. There is a certainty there. there there's a certainty there that something is going to occur and we're waiting for it. We're waiting for Christ to come. We are looking up at heaven. We're looking at the doors of heaven, eagerly waiting for that door to open and for Christ to come. Now, what's interesting here, uh, uh, Paul describes Christ, and I would think, you know, we, we're talking about citizen, our, our, our citizenship in heaven. I, I, I would think he would say something like, you know, we're, we're eagerly awaiting Christ, our king, right? That, was, that would seem more to fit. Um, but he doesn't. Look, look, how he, look at the title he uses. Paul describes Christ as a savior. Why does Paul call him savior? Paul is emphasizing the freeing work of Christ. That is what we're looking forward to. Christ is going to come, he's going to return, and Paul's just, look at what Christ is going to do for you. What is Christ going to do? Look at, look at verse 21. Who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory? Why is this hopeful? Why should we get so excited about this? Isn't this what we're pursuing our, our whole lives here? Isn't this what we're after, what we're striving for? To be transformed into conformity, right? Think about Romans 8, 29 there. Into conformity with the body of his glory. And it's going to happen. We're going to reach that finish line, and God is going to complete that work when Christ returns. Now contrast that to, to verse 19, right? These, the, we have these, the, the enemies of the cross who glory in their shame, 
who worship their appetite, right? They're literally their stomachs. But what's going to happen to us as believers? Our bodies are going to be transformed to the glory of the sun. Let's just pause there and think about that. What an amazing grace heaven is. Okay, so first, just lay out the blessings. And I'm only going to lay out a couple of them because there's so many we could talk about. But first, we have forgiveness of sins. Amazing grace there. And then we're, we're made into citizens of heaven. Like we're going to go to heaven. There's amazing grace there. But on top of that, we're going to be made like his son. The gospel keeps pouring grace after grace after grace. And we're going to be made like Christ. Why is this hopeful? Because to be made like Christ, we're, going, we're not going to have any more sin. There's going to be no more pain, no sorrow, no anger. No disappointment. Everything that the world offers, all the burdens that, that the world places on us, gone. And instead of that, we, we're going to have perfect fellowship, perfect peace. We're going to have joy. We're going to have perfect love in the presence of Christ himself, the presence of our Savior. Now, how is Christ going to do this? Verse 21b, the second part of verse 21 by the exertion, so this is how he does it, by the exertion of the power that he has even to su subject all things to himself. I wish, I wish we had time, and I just encourage you guys to, to look up these passages later. I wish we had time to look at 1 Corinthians 15, to look at Revelation 19 through 20, and, and read those passages in light of this. By what power is God going to transform us? By what power is he going to conform us to the body of his glory. It is by the power that he has to subject all things under him. It, when you read those passages that I just mentioned, there is nothing or no one that could stop Christ. In fact, I mean, just flip over Philippians 2, right? Philippians 2, verse 9, For this reason God also highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every, every knee will bow of those are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So when we read in Philippians 3 that we're going to be transformed and he's going to do this by the power to subject all things to himself. Th there is an unlimited ultimate power there that will transform your body. He is going to do it. He is going to transform our body. We're going to enjoy our presence with him in heaven as sure as Christ is alive today. So what hope do we have as heavenly citizens? What blessings, what grace do we have there? And I, I pray that we, we live in this hope that just like what the verb says, to, to eagerly wait for Christ's return. And, and I think the church could, for, could hear about this promise so much. I mean, how often do we hear that we're in the last days? Or how often do we hear that Christ is going is to come like a thief in the night? And yet we're so preoccupied with the things of this world. If, if you feel like your attention is being diverted, if you're losing that focus in the race, I think a helpful question to ask yourself, what's going to matter when you're finally in heaven? I think living with this hope means that you'll do anything for Christ now. Living, uh, uh, um, understanding that you are a citizen of heaven means that you're going to do everything you, you can for Christ now. Right? And, and that looks, it, doesn't, it's, it looks really practical. It means opening the scriptures it means praying. It means fighting sin. It means sharing the gospel. As uncomfortable as that can be, but remember, we're looking towards heaven. So we'll do anything for Christ. So there's our three practical lessons. To follow the examples of believers. To avoid the errors and the lifestyles of the enemies of the cross. And to hope in the return of Christ. This is what we do as citizens of heaven. This is how we pursue Christ. So where do we go from here? Look at chapter 4. 
Next verse, chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, in this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. What do you do with the three practical lessons? You stand firm. And you can't stand firm if you're giving allowance to the world. You can't stand firm if you're hiding or justifying your sin. And you can't stand firm if you're trying to satisfy yourself outside of Christ. Do not follow the example of the world. Remember who you are. You are a citizen of heaven. You belong to Christ. What else can satisfy? What other glory can be compared to the glory which will be revealed to us? And if this has not been a pattern of your life, if, if you have never surrendered your life to Christ, then, then I, I, I beg you to trust Christ today. The Bible says today, today is the day of salvation. And Christ is coming quickly. Don't be, don't be part of the enemies who, whose end is destruction, whose end is condemnation. Turn to Christ now, repent from your sins, and, and you have everlasting life in heaven. And for, for those of us who are citizens of heaven, encouragement to you as we close, let us rest in, in the sufficiency of Christ in our works. Let us hope in Christ and his return, not in our ever-changing circumstances or situations. And let us become so rooted, so rooted in the word and so secure in our faith that we become immovable beacons of hope to the world. Now, what we have been doing in our small groups during our live streams, we take what we heard, we take what we learn in scriptures, and we, we apply it, right? We talk about it. And those, those times have been so rich. Just a time for, for God to work on our hearts, for us to edify each other. And I encourage you guys here today, I encourage you guys at home to have those conversations. And if, if anyone would like prayer, uh, you can see me. You can see Jeff, who was here earlier. If you're online, please message us, uh, contact us. We would love to know who you are and to pray for you, to answer any questions you may have. Um, but this is what we do, right? We follow each other's examples. We, we lead each other to Christ. So let's do that right after the sermon and encourage each other that way. Let me pray. Father, I thank you. Lord, for the hope that we have in heaven, for the hope that we have for Christ's return. Lord, I pray that you would keep us vigilant in our own hearts, that you would show us where we are swerving from the path, where we are forgetting that we are citizens of heaven. And Lord, help us to pursue that goal of Christ, to to strive for Christ-likeness more and more every day. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for the amazing grace that we have in the gospel, that in heaven, it's not just heaven, but we get to spend eternity with you, being conformed to the image of your Son. Father, we praise you, and we thank you. For Jesus' name, amen.